Good morning. Will you stand with us and we'll sing our call to worship from Psalm 19. out speech and night to night reveals knowledge in them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there's nothing hidden from its heat perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, sweeter also than honey.
Let's pray together. Lord, we give you thanks that you have gathered us here and called into our lives to come and gather as your people. Lord, we, we think of the, the words of the psalmist that opened our service, and we give you thanks that we are invited to see this world around us as a gift from you, your creation, that tells us of your wonder, tells us of your glory. Not, not only do you give us this good gift, but you give us the gift of your word that is a light unto our feet, guiding us in ways that are true and good, that bring life. And Lord, as we gather, we remember all these things point to Christ, the eternal word that took on flesh, who drew near to us that we would be in union with you forever. And so we give you thanks we pray that you would remind us this morning of these truths that we are not on our own or making our own way, but that we are part of your gift, your word, and the work of Christ. Lord, even as we gather in this worship, though, we also acknowledge just our longing for things to be different. We think of how your word cries out, how long, O Lord? We think about that in our own life as we face challenges of sickness or disease, of challenging relationships, of strife, of words that were spoken that hurt or that we wish we could take back. And Lord, we also cry out how long when we look around at our world and we see uh, our, you know, our phones or our, our TVs filled with images of, of just brokenness and violence. We think of Gaza, we think of Ukraine, we think of other places where there is great suffering we ask, Lord, that you would be at work to change the hearts of leaders, to bring new ways and new paths, Lord. So we join in your world and your gift to cry out how long, and we ask, Christ, that you'd meet us in these cries this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this time, uh, children are dismissed for children's worship. You can also see a note that the fifth through eighth grade class is meeting as well, so those students can be dismissed to, to make their way to the, the old teacher's lounge. When we gather in God's presence, it is uh, good for us to remember that God is different from us, that God is holy and God is just, God is righteous. But in his grace, he invites us into his presence that we might experience forgiveness. And so we're going to continue our worship through a time of confession and assurance where we can speak honestly to God, knowing his grace is greater than our sin. So I invite you to join in this corporate confession, then we'll sing and have a time of personal confession as well. O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. My soul is full of troubles, and my eyes grow dim through sorrow. My strength has left me, yet I call upon you, O Lord, my hope. Remind me of your steadfast love and faithfulness. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. The ones who hate me without cause and to my soul Say I am your salvation Oh Lord, fight against the ones who hate me without cause and to my soul Say I am your salvation How long 
personal confession and needs before God. Lord, we give you thanks that you hear our prayers. We thank you for the promise of Christ, that your grace is greater than our sin, that you are the one who has faced hate and rejection and death, but have walked out as the righteous and victorious one. Lord, let us find our hope in you. Give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll invite you to stand that we can hear uh, words of assurance from Psalm 36, and you can join together uh, in these words. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Amen. Well, as Christ has welcomed us, let's take a moment to turn to each other and welcome each other in the name of Christ. It's really up to Betsy. It's really up to Betsy. It's harder for her.
the Old, the Old Testament lesson is from Exodus 19, 1 through 8. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the New Testament lesson is from Luke 22, 14 through 20. And when the hour had come, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Well, for uh, a couple of weeks now, we've begun a series in the book of Hebrews. And uh, Hebrews is a letter that was written to people who were on the verge of giving up on Christianity. They found that living the Christian life was, was hard and they were standing in the way of ridicule and opposition. They're tempted to, to go back, to revert back into another way of life. They're tempted to go back, back into those old and familiar practices uh, of worship that they knew from their forefathers from the old covenant. Well, um, about a month ago, it was, uh, it was the Grammys. <laughs> I don't know if, I don't typically watch the Grammys or follow very closely, but I caught something of what happened and I had to, to chase it down. Apparently, uh, the singer-songwriter Tracy Chapman was invited to sing her classic song, uh, Fast Car, and to do it with uh, country singer Luke Combs, who, who's, uh, who's put out a recent, uh, well, fairly recent uh, popular cover of it. Now, I was intrigued by this because that song, it had a, a piercing resonance for me growing up. Uh, it's a hauntingly beautiful and stirring song and I hadn't heard her sing it in a really long time. And I have to say, hearing her sing it live at the Grammys, hearing her, 
Hearing her do it in that moment, it was like I heard it again for the first time. It was moving and emotional, and to see her delight in singing it, it, it brought my heart to thrill, <laughs> to the wonder of, of being caught, of being captured by the convergence, right? That, com that beautiful convergence of sound and poetic word. And I did something else that night too. I looked up the, the, the new cover song <laughs> and I just have to say it, it didn't land for me in the same way. <laughs> it lacks something of, uh, of the soul and the majesty of the, of, it, of the original, at least for me. And I think it's into that space that, that between the original song and, and that cover, that space between something that was created out of something real and true versus a copy of it, a cover, that our passage it reaches into this morning. In this letter to the Hebrews, we, we, we come to the heart of the trouble for the people of that time. You see, to, to return to the practices of the Old Covenant would be like take some, taking something beautiful, something wondrous and complete, like a beautiful song, and, and trading that in for a, a copy, an imitation of the real thing. And what the author of Hebrews, he wants us to see is that, that, Je in, that in Jesus Christ, we already have the beautiful song. We already have the genuine, the, the, the real thing. We already have the savior of the world. So, so don't throw it away. Don't, don't turn your back on it. Because <laughs> no matter what you might choose, Jesus offers a better way. No matter who or what you might compare him to, Jesus is going to be better. And that is the, the resonant chorus of our text that the author, he, he wants us to delight in, for our hearts to thrill and be captured by it, so that we may be a people who hold on to it, who hold, out, who hold on in the darkest of nights, who sing it out even when it seems familiar and, un, and mundane, and certainly in the surprise and joy when we find it fresh and alive yet again. Jesus is the real thing, the better. So I'd like us to turn to this passage from Hebrews 8. That's a passage that is directly linked to chapter 7 as well. So we'll look back a little bit as we meet the author's words from our text written in your order. So this is Hebrews 8, 1 through 13. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord has set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to, to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if we were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you, have, you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the, as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. 
For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from least to them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Well, this is God's word. It's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we, uh, we come in, in faith to your word this morning. Lord, be our teacher. Um, may we cling to your promises that they would meet us in whatever place we come this morning. Guide us now by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in our, our text today, the author of Hebrew he holds up a portrait of Jesus. And he wants us to see, to see clearly the, the real thing, the genuine guarantor of a better covenant. It's a covenant that is situated in, in a better sanctuary, and, and because of this, Jesus can offer us better promises. He is the, the guarantor of a better covenant who ministers in a better sanctuary and offers better promises. And let's look at this with uh, a little more specificity. Now, back in chapter 7, verse 22, and then echoed again here in chapter 8, we see that Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. Now, a covenant is uh, a relationship that involves both law and love. And in the ancient Near East, people often entered into covenantal relationships with one another. It was a relationship that was voluntary voluntarily entered into by at least two parties or two different people, and and certain terms would be set. And the idea is that if you met the conditions of this relationship, then, then it would bring certain blessings into your life. But if you fail to keep your end of the deal, then the covenant was nullified. It was, it was void. And rather than bringing blessing into your life for rewards, you would then receive curses or penalties. So this was a, a common practice in the ancient Near East. Now, when God rescued his people from their, their bondage in, in Egypt through the Exodus, the first thing that God does is he brings them to Mount Sinai. And there he enters into a covenantal relationship with them. And the essence of the covenant with them is that God promises that I will, I will be your God and you'll be my people. And in covenant, there are also conditions. And what are they between God and, and his people? Well, if we, look, if we look at Exodus 19, God says, Now, therefore, if you, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, 
you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. So you hear, the, you hear that language of both law and love. If you obey my voice and keep my covenant, shall be my treasured possessions. So the Old Testament covenant was based on law and obedience. And if you fail to obey, if you fail to keep the covenant, then the covenant was void. There's still a, a gracious element to this old covenant because the relationship with God could be kept open even if the law was broken, so long as there were priests who could offer sacrifices. But now the author of Hebrews, he points out that built into the very structure of that Old Testament covenant, there were a number of problems. You see, the, the issue stemmed from the priest, right? The problem with the priest is that their lives were, were mortal, that their character was, was sinful, that their sacrifices were, had to be daily. <laughs> see, first he tells us that the Old Testament priests, um, many in number, an, an, an endless succession of priests, and it was this way simply because they met death, they died, and needed to be replaced time and time again. And it wasn't just their mortality, it was their humanity. Right? They were sinful, and before they could offer sacrifices for the people, they had to offer sacrifices for themselves. And even more so, beyond the mortality and the humanity, it was the challenge of frequency. That the priests had to offer sacrifices on a daily basis. They, their work was, was limited. It was vulnerable, having to be repeated over and over again. And so Hebrews, it sets before us this contrast with the priest of old and Jesus. Jesus guarantees a better covenant. He is a real thing. He is the real thing, not a copy or some stand-in of what a priest should be. See, Jesus is unstained by sin, holy and pure, separate from sinners, and he's exalted. The priest of old sacrificed daily. Jesus' sacrifice is final, once and for all. He offers up himself for all time, and his life is not mortal, but immortal. His priesthood, it endures forever, and because of this, he's able to save to the uttermost. He's able to save for all of time, all those who draw near to him. So this is what makes Jesus, this is what makes him the guarantor of a better covenant. Now in the old covenant, if you fail to meet the conditions of the covenant, then that covenant was off and you receive a curse rather than a, a blessing. But in the new covenant, Jesus says, even if you fail to keep the conditions of the covenant, I will bear the consequences rather than you. So that no matter what happens, you'll receive blessing. You'll receive blessing rather than curses. Jesus is the guarantor. He's the guarantor of a better covenant. The, the conditional covenant of the Old, Old Testament is now replaced with the unconditional covenant of the new. Well, the first thing we see is that Jesus guarantees this better covenant. And the second thing we notice is that this covenant is centered in a better sanctuary. Well, many of you have traveled abroad and you've seen the sites. Maybe you've been to some historic places, places like Italy, 
with the Colosseum and the Pantheon, even maybe the majestic countryside of Tuscany. And, but how many of you have been to Niles, the five-mile drive up to see the Leaning Tower of Pisa? <laughs> well, for those of you who don't know, <laughs> who don't know there is a half-sized replica of the original Tower of Pisa in Niles, Illinois. It's right there, <laughs> all its glory, surrounded by Target and Costco. I think there's even an Aldi on your, on your stop. And it's, you know, it's in its glory in a full lean on your weekend errands. <laughs> I mean, there's a stark contrast <laughs> between Niles, Illinois and Pisa, Italy. I mean, something similar is being shown to us here in Hebrews, right? In chapter 8, verse 5, the author, he speaks to a time when Moses is given very careful instructions about how to build a tent or a sanctuary. And this is the place where the people would worship God, where they would meet with God. It was referred to as the tabernacle during their wilderness wanderings, and it became the temple, the permanent temple in Jerusalem. And this verse in Hebrews echoes, it echoes Exodus 25, which suggests that God not only told Moses how to build this tent, but he showed him the real thing. But you see, this is the place where God designated he would meet with his people. And so from century to century, the temple formed the heart and the center of their worship and their devotion. This is a place where heaven and earth overlapped and intersected. And so when you entered the temple, especially the high priests entering into the most holy place, the inner sanctum of the temple, it was as if you were, you were entering heaven itself. But now the author of Hebrews is telling us that, wow, that was a beautiful picture. It was nothing more than a picture. Because that earthly tent, that tabernacle, that temple was, it was simply a, a replica, a model of, of the real thing. And the author says in verse 5, it was just a copy, a shadow of the heavenly things. And this is what makes Jesus, Jesus, this is what makes Jesus far superior to the priest of the Old Testament. Because the priest entered into the temple, but Jesus entered into the true sanctuary located in heaven, the place where God dwells. Right, Hebrew, later on in Hebrews 9, verse 24, it makes this clear. It says that Jesus entered not into a sanctuary made with human hands, but into heaven itself. And the temple, it was only meant to be a model, a, model, a, a replica. It isn't the real thing. And Jesus alone, he enters into this heavenly place, the true sanctuary. And for that reason, he alone can offer better promises. Well, something drastically new has happened, and, and this comes out in the concluding part of our text. You see, even in the Old Testament times, the Old Covenant was regarded as being more, uh, as being just temporary. And the problem with this Old Covenant was that it was imperfect, it was powerless, and for that reason, it becomes obsolete, as it says. Just look at verse 7, for if that that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. 
And then the author of Hebrews, he goes on to quote Jeremiah 31, which was written about 600 years before Christ. And the idea is that if the old covenant had been perfect, then God would never have promised through one of his Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah, that he would make a new covenant with his people. And the trouble was that God's people had just hadn't kept their side of the deal. And according to the covenant, because they were covenant breakers, the covenant should have been nullified and brought curse into their lives. But God graciously promised he would make a new covenant with them and acted on better promises. And this trouble, the problem, it wasn't with God's law. God's instruction about how to live and to live our lives that, in ways that please him. You know, the fault was in us as his people. And because no matter how clearly God might have spelled out the life he requires of us, we, we don't have the means within ourselves to do it. And that's why he gives us something new. And it's this new covenant that, that renders the old, it renders it obsolete, ready, ready to vanish away. You see, that's why it's, uh, it's crazy to wistfully long for some other way to connect to God. Here he is warning people against reverting to an old way of worship, but he equally warns against trying to grab for some new way of connecting with God. Any other way of trying to connect, it, it doesn't make sense in light of the final and the, the complete way in which God has acted in and through Jesus I mean, he wants us to, to feel and to know how much better Jesus' new covenant is. And it shows up, it shows up in these words when he quotes Jeremiah. You know, he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers, on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, so I showed no concern for them. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach each one his neighbor, each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities. I'll remember their sins no more. It's a beautiful passage. <laughs> and what is new about this new covenant? Well, it's new in character, it's new in scope, and it's new in effect. See, the character is new because the old covenant was weak. It was external. He told us what to do, but we didn't have the power to do it. It was outward facing, and now God's promise, now God promises to do something new. He's going to, to ingrain it in the core of who we are, our hearts and our minds, the center, so we can actually live the life that God intended and requires for his people. It's a new character. It's also new in scope. The old covenant was limited to those who were strong, maybe mature enough to keep keeping conditions, but not really. And now God opens it wide because we won't need 
some earthly prophet or a priest or some mediator to tell, to tell you to know the Lord because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. Through his Holy Spirit, God not only gives us the power to live differently, but we can reach anyone. It's also new in effect. Perhaps the, the greatest promise here is that God will provide the ultimate solution to human sin. The old provided this temporary, this imperfect solution. It needed to, to be constantly repeated. But in Jesus, he's going to provide a permanent, a perfect solution. Because in Christ, in his finished work, once and for all, on the cross, God promises to forgive our sins. He remembers them no more. He will blot them out, erase them from memory. They simply will not exist anymore. And the reason, the reason that we can know that all of that is true is because Jesus is presented here as our advocate. He's able to save to the uttermost all those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to intercede for us. Jesus always li lives to intercede, to pray for us. It isn't that Jesus merely died on the, on the cross in our place for our sins, and that was it. <laughs> no, even now, he is always at work. He always lives to intercede on our behalf, to plead for us, to pray for us. And Paul says as much in, in, in Romans 8. He says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God right now, who indeed is interceding for us. And friends, if we are united to Jesus by faith, we can be sure that right now, Jesus is praying and interceding for you. And I don't know about you, but those, those are the kind of words that lift up a broken heart, that draw near and make room for those who hold our doubts, that straighten the back of those under the curses of shame and accusation. Now, it's important for us to not conceive of God the Father as, as some tyrant. And Jesus is standing in the way of his condemnation. <laughs> He's not trying to convince God the Father to do something that he otherwise doesn't want to do. No, God the Father is just as committed to our rescue. He is the one who sent his son to deliver an enslaved people. And so the moment we put our faith in Jesus, that, that is the moment we no longer come into judgment, but we come into the newness of life. Listen to Jesus' promises from John 5. He says, he who hears my voice and believes in the one who sent me does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And to put it in the language of Paul, we are adopted into the family of God as his sons and daughters. We are given a new standing and status that cannot be defiled or, or tarnished or, or changed. And so this is a good word. It's a good word for those who struggle in real time and in real ways to hold tight to these promises. <laughs> I mean, we struggle with sin, with the reality that, that, 
that broken ways of living seem to grip us or, or, or show back up again. And they damage our relationships and they tempt us into hiding or denying or dismissing. It's a good word for those of us who hold real fear. Fear that paralyzes, fear that invites all kinds of, of scrambling. Fear that fate, that races to seize control, to head off suffering and pain at the door. It's a fear that if I don't have the control, then I will not be safe. Safe from the powerlessness of death that is ready to steal and to, to destroy the goodness in my life. It's a good word for those of us who struggle to stay connected in relationships to know and to be known by God and by others. And it's hard when relationships present challenge or difficulty. It can be easy to go on the run, <laughs> to retreat and withdraw, to even sabotage faithful and good human and divine connection. We sabotage to avoid pain or to distance ourselves from the vulnerability of intimacy and the broken pain that, that if I'm truly known, it will only bring rejection. And friends, the, the promises of God for you to be your God, to love unconditionally, to call you his, this good news brought to you through the self-giving love of Jesus, who in this very moment is interceding for you, praying for you, praying that you would find strength praying that you would not go on the run, chasing after other promises, praying that you would be able to stand up under any trial or temptation, and praying that you might know how deeply and wide is the Father's love for you. Amen. Let me pray. Father, we acknowledge that we are often tempted to trade in the real thing that we have in Christ. We're a, a pale imitation, a, a copy, a shadow. And we pray that you might open up our eyes so that we may see Jesus for who he really is and all that he has done for us. Help us to see that he is the guarantor of a, of a better covenant, ministering in the heavenly places, offering better promises that can never be taken away. Father, fill us with comfort and hope now as we persist in our faith. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand with us and we'll sing together.
Having heard God's word, we're now invited to the table that God sets for his people. Pastor Brian invited us to, to, to consider or to see in our passage the better promises of Christ. We are a people that it's hard just to hear them and to, to hold on to them. And God in his grace to us has given us this gift of a sacrament. Not only are there words to be received, but here in the promises can be seen and touched tasted for this table is a proclamation of those better promises and so as we prepare to, to receive this or as we come forward to receive this gift it's good to be reminded what what God is doing here and what Christ has, has given us in this sacrament is to show this better promise his body was broken his blood was shed that death and sin would not be the final word in your life his body was broken and his blood was shed. Therefore, the steadfast love of God and his mercy will be the word that stands in your life now and forever. His body was broken and his blood was shed that those who are far off, both the least and the great, could be brought in and intimately connected to God and his family forever. This is the promises, what Christ accomplished, taking upon himself all of our brokenness and giving us his life and righteousness by his grace. This is the proclamation of this table. If you know of your need before God, and have confessed your sins and put your faith in Christ, then come and receive and remember these promises. If you have not yet put your faith in Christ, let this table be a witness and invitation, for this is the God that we have. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. We thank you over and over again that you did not leave us in our sin and in our 
misery or in the consequences of what we could build or fail to build, he did not leave us, but drew near to us in Christ. And not only drawing near, but as your passage invites us to see, you brought a better covenant, a better promise that we would be your people and you would be our God and that your mercy and forgiveness would have no end. We give you thanks for these truths and we ask that your spirit would meet us, strengthen us that we may walk as your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, on the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this is the new covenant, the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. I invite you to come down to center aisle to receive the bread and the cup, and you can go back um, to your seat on the sides. I ask that you, if you're able, that you'd hold the elements until everyone's been served, that we can eat and drink as one family. If you're not participating in community today, we're, we're glad you're here. I invite you to come forward, so just put your arm across your chest, and we can offer a prayer of blessing for you here at the table. Let's come now and receive these gifts from God.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. In response to this table, I invite you to stand that we can pray and sing and confess together as God's people. Teach us to know the surpassing love of Jesus Christ, our Lord, sharing in his suffering and rejoicing in the power of the resurrection pressing on toward the goal to which you have called us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. to join together in confessing our faith. Being both divine and human, Jesus is the only mediator. He alone paid the debt of our sin. There's no other savior. We are chosen in Christ to become like him in every way. God's electing love sustains our hope. God's grace is free. Save sinners who offer nothing but their need for mercy. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we're going to continue uh, worshiping through a time of offering, a chance to give gifts in response to God's generosity. So I invite the greeters to come forward. There's a, a gray basket you can put your uh, communion cup in and then a silver offering plate if you'd like to, to give a gift uh, to the work of the church. Uh, you can also respond with giving a gift through the church's website. There's information uh, in your order of worship. Um, but I want to say welcome. We're glad that we can all gather in uh, worship this morning. If you are sitting in the center aisle, uh, I invite you to reach down under your chair. There's a black information pad. You can pick that up and uh, pass that down. It'd be great to know who you're worshiping with. And if you are um, new to the church or started coming recently, I'd love for you to share your information with Pastor Brian. I could uh, follow up with you and let you know more about the church. Um, one thing just to highlight is there is a lunch coming up towards the end of this month on March 24th. Uh, for anyone who wants to learn more about the church, that will be after the service on the 24th. Let me know if you're interested. Uh, the only other uh, reminder just to highlight is that the Easter Choir is going to rehearse after the service uh, today. So if, if you'd like to be part of that, just come on up and you'll meet here uh, by the communion table after the service. Uh, let us, oh, I should also remind you, sorry, that we do have hospitality. <laughs> there's coffee and bagels. Don't worry, there's still coffee and bagels. It's in the hallway behind me uh, after the service. Let's continue worshiping God through the giving of our gifts.
you please stand and join us for the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, Receive now God's blessing. May the love of God the Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you.